If you would take out a Bible, though, right now, I'd love it. Acts chapter 2. We're taking one week off of our Leadership Challenge series. Welcome. I'm Mike Patz, one of the pastors around here. If you're joining us online, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Acts chapter 2, if you would stand to your feet, that would just be great. I'm going to pray even now because I want the power of God's Spirit to move upon us. Can I get an amen on that? Lord, we welcome you in this place. We welcome you at every home, in every car, in every living room, right there in every chair that's right here, in every single heart that's represented. You are welcome in this place, God. You are welcome, and we want you to bring your kingdom in this place, in Jesus' name. Can you say amen to that? Church, I have a lot on my mind today. This has been a busy week. There's been the conflict going on in Israel and we got Palestinians in Israel. There's stuff that's going on there. I'm having lots of conversations with a lot of confused people about a lot of different topics. My mind is in a lot. Tonight, uh, when sun goes down, officially on the Jewish calendars when Pentecost begins. And because that is the case, I felt prompted to go to Acts 2 this week. And I want to warn you that I already realize that there are, there's a lot of baggage and there is a lot of nervousness that people have when we even read the passage I'm about to read you. And I want you to have guts to go there anyway. So could everyone just say, preach, preacher? Preach. Thank you. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm going to read beyond this, but I'm going to stop here now. I'm going to pray one more time. God help in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat and get your heart ready. I was doing some work around my house and our patio, the concrete on our back porch was just really dirty. Has your concrete ever just got nasty and dirty? And so I went out there and I didn't want to have to do something powerful. So I just took out our hose and I had like one of those squeeze things that kind of gives you a, it's like it can do like shower, it can do like jet, you know, it can have all these different things. And so I took my little, my little handheld hose and I kind of sprayed it on the dirt and grime and it did just about nothing. And so I took from my kitchen, I took a scrubber and I got down there and I put some bleach on that thing and I started to scrub and scrub and scrub. And sure enough, man, after about a minute, I could get like, you know, two or three inches of dirt gone. And it was really an exhilarating feeling to watch progress. But then when I looked at my long patio, I realized that if I was going to be home and be in the house in time for dinner, I was going to need something other than the bleach and the scrub brush in my body. And so I went out and I looked, and sure enough, you can rent a power washer. But the power washer was like $75, I think, and at Lowe's you can buy something brand new, which is like $90. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead. And I splurged and I bought the power washer. And I get this power washer. I go in my backyard, go into the patio, and I begin to look at that dirt again, saying, dirt, you are coming down in the name of Lowe's and Mike Pats. You are coming down. And I took that thing out, and I begin, I get this thing ready. I plug in the hose, and man, I start to squirt this thing. And sure enough, very little is happening. It's not happening. It's not working. This isn't right. This isn't good. 
The problem was I needed to plug the sucker in. And so sure enough, I had to go and take the plug. It's one of those electronic things. I had to take the plug, plug the thing in. And when I plugged it in, it, it, the, the machine sort of, you know, I don't know, convulsed for a second. It sort of convulsed, made a few burping sounds. But then out of the spigot of that little hose came power. And what was taking me five minutes to do was now happening in less than five seconds. And what was going to take hours and hours and hours and hours was now going down like no one's business because I now had the power washer. Do you understand how frustrating it is to spend $90 on something that doesn't seem to be working the way it was supposed to work? There was advertisement that this was going to be effective, and it wasn't. That this was going to have power, and it didn't. That this was going to do something, and it was not doing something. I keep on talking to Christians. I meet a lot of college students at the University of Florida or Santa Fe, and I hear the stories of kids that grew up in the evangelical church. My mom dragged me to church. My parents dragged me to church. I got baptized when I was one and a half years old. You know, I, I, was, I said a sinner's prayer when I was seven. I, I, they, they, I said a sinner's prayer, and they gave me a Tootsie Roll. And so I said two sinner's prayers, and they gave me two. And, and, and I tried that, Christian, and I'll have parents thoroughly confused when their kids go off to college and seem to abandon the faith. And I'll have a lot of these ex-evangelicals tell me, Mike, I was never an evangelical. My mom thought I was, and my dad thought I was, and maybe I even thought I was, but th people think I backslid. I'm not sure I ever frontslid. People think I fell away. I'm not sure I was ever in it. Mike, I tried that stuff. I tried that Christian thing. I tried that religious thing. I tried that stuff. It doesn't work. But then I talked to someone recently, and they were so different than they used to be, and, and I asked them, what? happened to you? It was after one of our services, and this is what he said. Pastor Mike, the Holy Spirit happened to me. The Holy Spirit happened to me. You were never meant to get this package called the religious faith, Christian, whatever religious thing that it is, to, to hook it up to a hose, and, and it's, it's the same hose and it's the same water, and it's, it's the same me, and it's the same you, and it's the same body. But do you understand that the way that Jesus has set this up, you were never meant to live this entire Christian life without the power provided for the Christian life. And I keep talking to people surprised that, that their Christian faith isn't wiping out more injustice, isn't addressing more oppression, isn't wiping out more sin, isn't dealing with more addiction, isn't taking down more alcoholism, isn't better buffeting for prescription self-diagnosing of drugs, isn't knocking out the, all the... And people are like, man, where is the power? So we come to Acts chapter 2, and I want to talk today about power. A.W. Tozer, he said that if God took his Holy Spirit off the earth right now, 95% of what Christians and churches do, they would do exactly the same without the Holy Spirit. But if we went back to the original church and God took the Holy Spirit away, he says 95% of what they did would have stopped because they were determined not to do anything without the power 
of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, Jesus was with his people. He ordered them, I don't want you to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you've heard from me. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise. Wait for the, because John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized or immersed. You're going to be dunked with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in verse 8 he says, you will receive power. You will receive power. Now when we come to Acts chapter 2, we see a promise of the power. There's a promise of the power. I want to give you a promise today from Jesus, and that promise is this. Please hear me carefully. Any of you that right now are struggling like, what in the world is wrong with my Christianity? Let me give you great news. There is more. There is more. I often live without it, and then I live with it, and I'm telling you, there is more. More. Great news. You don't need to operate where if God took his spirit away, 95 or more of what we do could be done without him. You were made to live a life that if he took his spirit off, it would be like you trying to clean my patio without the power. You need power. And the great news is it's available. In, in Acts 2, it, it's interesting. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, I want to just kind of give you a principle today because the principle is when you're reading something in Scripture that's confusing, a great thing to do is to say, well, wait a minute, where have I seen this before? Where have I heard this before? Where have I read this before? When the day of Pentecost, to which if you're reading Pentecost, you're like, okay, well, what's the day of Pentecost? Well, what we have in, in the Bible, when you're reading this, if you were a Jewish person, you'd say, wait, where have I read this before? And the answer is you would have first read this in Leviticus chapter 23. Because in Leviticus chapter 23, we had what's known as the feasts of Israel that were appointed by God. These were feasts. God, just so you know, humans everywhere celebrate holidays. God himself instituted only seven, really seven big holidays. You could add, I guess, the Sabbath to that as well because it's in that chapter. But there's seven basic holidays that God instituted. But when you're looking at these, these are called the feasts of the Lord. These are the feasts of Israel. Now, it's interesting because when Christians um, begin to walk with Jesus, a lot of times I've heard the debates about why we don't have to celebrate these, and I agree because we're not under the law of Moses, the Torah. That's a lot if you're new to Christianity. Let me just tell you, it's really cool. Leviticus chapter 23, we've got feasts that are listed. Now, let me tell you about the feasts. They look like not a big deal, but the feasts of the Lord are appointed by the Lord to describe the redemption of the Lord, meaning the feasts even though people celebrated these for thousands of years before Jesus came, who is the Messiah, who is the promised one, the feasts are shadows that are pointing to Jesus. The feasts are shadows that are pointing to the redemption of Jesus, the Lord, the Messiah. The first feast was the feast of Passover. You may remember that because Passover is when Jesus got crucified. Passover is when Jesus had his blood shed. Passover was that. After Passover, you got the Passover, and of course that was from the law, that was from the days of Moses when, when he said, put the blood on the doorpost, and if I see the blood, I will pass over them. When death could have come, the wages of sin is Wages of sin is death. When I see the blood covering them, I will pass over. Death will pass over you. You may die, but you won't die when you've been covered by the blood of Jesus. 
Now, let me tell you about the feast. They're pointing to Jesus. I'm talking today about the power of the Spirit, but you know it's the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will get you obsessed with Jesus. The Holy Spirit, is gonna, he, he never is focusing on him. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's look to Jesus. Passover was where Jesus shed his blood, and it was passed over. The next feast mentioned in Leviticus 23 is the, it's the Feast of First Fruits. It happens just, it's during this, this week of Passover, and it would be kind of like, mm, like on a Friday, you'd be celebrating Passover. By about Sunday was the Feast of First Fruits, where they would take a sheaf, and it was the, the first fruits, and they would go and they would wave the sheaf. And just so you know, the scripture says that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he is the firstborn from the dead. It is just like those farmers that would take their sheaves, and they would wave them, and the whole community would see them. Jesus rose from the dead, and hell and earth and heaven saw when the Son of God who had been slain, the Lamb of God who had been slain, got up out of the grave and it was waved to this world as the greatest evidence that this is the King of glory. His name is Jesus. You've got the feast of Passover. You've got the feast of the first fruits. But then he said to count seven weeks and then add a day, which would be seven times seven is 49. And then add a day, that would be pent, Pentecost. It was, it was the feast in, in Hebrew, the, the feast of Shuvuot. It was, this, it was the feast of weeks. You would count the weeks. And on that day, there would be a, a joyful time. And it was on that day they would celebrate the feast of weeks. Passover represented Jesus' death. First fruits represented and pointed to his resurrection. But then the feast of weeks represented that Jesus knew it was never going to be enough to simply get your sins covered. It was never going to be enough to simply have Jesus rise from the dead. At some point, you're going to need the power. And the Feast of Weeks was pointing. On the day of Pentecost, I'm still on verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, when it had arrived, they were all together in one place. And it is on that day where the promise, verse 4, of the power, verse 8, chapter 1, the promise of the power was going to come to fulfillment. And friends, this is what I want to preach about today. Jesus promised, Jesus gave a promise of an experience that brings power. And that power is the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave a promise. It is a promise. He keeps his promise that there is an experience. I'm going to be making the point. I'm going to, I'm going to, I, this is totally controversial. I'm going to be making the point. I do not believe when you become a Christian that everything that's ever going to happen has already happened. Just like when a man and a woman get married at an altar and the preacher says, you may kiss the bride. I don't think that's the end of the marriage. I think it's the beginning. The best is yet to come. So when someone says, well, don't you have everything you need when you meet Jesus? Yes, but you've got to go all the way with Jesus. When, you get, when Priscilla and Ken got married, when I married them and I said, you may kiss the bride, that was just the beginning. Where was that? Out at the lake? Was that on the lake? Out on a lake when they got married? That was just the, the best was yet to come. And I want some of you to know there is a promise. Jesus gave a promise of an experience that brings power. So when I'm looking at this passage, I'm just going to hit these three verses, two, three, and four. My first question is, why the wind? I've heard everyone talk about tongues. I will discuss tongues. I'll mention Israel and Palestine before we're done here. But I'm wondering about the wind. Why, why the fire? There's tongues of fire on people's heads. What's up with fire on people's heads? 
And then what's up with tongues? So, so, so let's just kind of go in, in, into these. First in verse 2, what's up with the wind? Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house, a wind. Who's ever been in Florida during a hurricane? Who does not like hurricanes? Anyone not like hurricanes? The, the hurricane brings wind. Now the thing that makes a hurricane a hurricane is the wind that makes it. It's a, it's a rushing mighty wind. The good thing about hurricanes is that the hurricane is on the outside and you get to go on the inside. And when you're on the inside, you don't hear and feel the effects of the hurricane, which is on the outside. But in this case, the hurricane was going on on the inside. Now, it's interesting. The word for wind in Hebrew, which is the language they would have been speaking, is the word ruach. Everyone say ruach. It, it, it makes you use your breath because, in fact, the word in Greek and in Hebrew, in fact, multiple languages, the same word that's used for wind is the word for breath. Ruach. Ruach. When you have your mask on, it just goes, right? Kind of like a subwoofer on your face, right? Ruach. Numa. So, so the question is, if you're reading this passage, you need to ask, okay, well, what's up with wind? So you should ask yourself, wait, when, have I ever seen wind show up somewhere else? Where do you see ruach first showing up in the Bible, for example? It's in the very beginning. It's in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and it, it was void and, and it was without form. And it says that the spirit of God was hovering over the, over the face. The spirit, the ruach, it's the word for spirit. It's the word for wind. It's the word for breath. And the spirit, ruach, and the wind, ruach, and the breath of God was hovering over the, the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was lights. That's chapter one. By the time you get to chapter two, you've got God who creates man. He makes Adam. He says it forms him out of the dust of the earth. Out of the dust. So gentlemen, just so you understand, the Bible says we're made from dirt. I guess that makes us dirt bags. I don't know how you describe this, but we're just kind of, here we are. Certainly we've been, I've been called that before, right? Well, biblically, it's very accurate, right? We were formed out of the dirt, and so God forms him, and there's a skeleton, and there's bones, and there's tendons, and he makes Adam, and, and Adam is sitting there. What's the problem with Adam when he's laying there? What's the problem? What does he need? It says he needs, everyone say ruach. He needs the breath of life. It says, and God breathed into Adam the breath of life. Now, when I'm reading this passage, in Acts chapter 1, the church has been somewhat gathered together. There's 120 believers of Jesus in the upper room. There's 120. We don't know how many it started with. Maybe hundreds more. But there's 120 by the day of Pentecost. By the time you get to the end of Acts chapter 1, <laughs> at the end of Acts chapter 1, the Jerusalem church looks a lot like the American church right now. They're gathered together. They're sitting down, they're chilling, they don't know what to do, so they're having elections. They're holding elections. Well, Judas killed himself. Peter gets up, he's like, let's go ahead and come. We need to do, we can't just sit around and do nothing. Let's do something. And so they, they had a little election, like, well, we need to get someone to replace, you know, Judas. So they, they cast lots. It's like rolling the dice. It's like playing rock, paper, scissors to figure out who's going to be the next apostle. There's been a lot of conjecture about this through the ages, 
Some of which was that if they just would have waited, God had a plan. It was called the Apostle Paul. Just wasn't ready yet. But, but they had their own idea, which was even though we don't really have any power, we're going to go ahead. We're going to scrub some floors anyway. Even though we, the power hasn't. Je, all Jesus said to do was go in Jerusalem and wait until the power comes. How many of you ever get distracted in the wait and you do something you weren't supposed to do? Anyone ever done that? <laughs> I'm so glad the Lord's merciful. But at the end of Acts chapter 1, there is a body of Christ, but I would argue the body of Christ is almost like the body of Adam at the beginning of creation. There's a skeleton, there's a corpse, but there's not yet. I like when the camera guy's liking the sermon. That's good. <laughs> wait, wait, what's up with the wind? I'll tell you what's up with the wind. The, the wind was that place of creation. The wind was the place of life. When God blows his wind, there's life. There are some of your marriages that need the ruach blown into them. Some of our homes need the ruach. There's some of our marriages, our families, our ministries, our microchurches, and they need the breath of life. On the outside, there was no wind, but on the inside, there was wind. But it wasn't destroying anything like a hurricane because this was the wind of God that brings life. And church, when I turn on social media, I keep reading Christians saying things like, I am just done. I am tired. I mean, I hear conservatives and liberals and whites and blacks and yellows and browns. Everyone I talk to, oh, I'm exhausted. I've got nothing left. Friends, let me make you a promise. When the wind of the spirit of Jesus blows inside of you, you've got life. I, this, I get it, man. There is a place for a Sabbath, and there is a place for a rest, and there is a place for a sabbatical. But church of Jesus, can we stop acting like we serve a God who doesn't breathe? He does. Receive your strength again. Receive your man. It's it is totally fine to it is totally fine to get wounded, damaged, need a hospital, need a break. But at some point, we've got to be able to look to a world and say, "Listen, we serve the one, the Jesus who passed over us by His blood, who rose from the dead, and the sheaves have been waved at the world around us." And on the day of Pentecost, there was a power. Have you received life like that? Because if you haven't, I want you to ask today. Mike, what are you going to want me to do today? Ask for the Holy Spirit. There is a promise of an experience that brings power. And I want you to ask for it. Verse 3. And divided tongues of fire appeared on them, and they rested on all of them. What a strange sight. I just want you to imagine your name is B.J. Ben-Judah. And let's say BJ's sitting there in the upper room. He's waited 10 days. The wind starts to blow. You're sitting in the room. I just want you to imagine with me for a minute. You're looking across the room, and someone has like a flame of fire on their head. At this point, you'd be like, man, back in my, like BJ's old days, maybe he was like hitting that opium pipe too much. And he's like, man, it's coming back to hit me now. And he's like, man, I don't know. I... But then you look in someone else and someone else, and it's on you, 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 and it's on you. And, and you're like, whoa, I'm like, whoa. And you're like, am I imagining things? And then someone else is like, whoa. 
But you have to ask the question. Has there ever been a fire burning that did not consume what it was burning in Scripture before? And it takes you back to the book of Exodus where there was a guy named Moses, born of the Hebrews, raised by the Egyptians. The Egyptians had enslaved the Hebrews, living the life, living, his, living la vida Egyptian for 40 years, living it up. By the time he's kind of done all his stuff that he wants to do, one day he's, now he gets a heart for justice and he sees oppression. He goes out, he decides to take matters into his own hands and he goes out and starts to scrub in the natural, in the flesh. And there's a lot of scrubbing in the flesh going on right now. There's a lot of action in the flesh. And he goes out and he kills an Egyptian. Very justified, very understandable, very foolish. Kills the Egyptian, buries him, feels like the man. I'm ready to take, I'm ready to rescue you guys. Of course, the Hebrews weren't really ready to be ruled by this guy and led by this guy. And Pharaoh hears about it, wants to kill him. He goes on the run. And so for the next 40 years of his life, Moses, he's on the backside of a desert, gets married, he's got a family, he's kind of just living his life. And one night he is up and he is in his retirement situation. He's out and about and he's up on a mountain. And when he's up on a mountain, he sees a bush. There's lots of bushes all over this area, but he sees this one bush. And the unusual part about this bush is that the bush is burning. It's burning, but it's not being consumed. We've all seen, if you've ever been out there in those regions, they tell us that you would see things consuming, meaning there's, there's a burning, but there's not smoke. You know, there's a burning, but you're not seeing the, you're, 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 not, you're not choking. Because there's a, a fire that's, that's revealing itself. See, we serve the God who has described and revealed himself as an all-consuming fire. God himself, he, he burns. It's, when his prophets heard God's word, they would say things like, your word is like a fire in my bones, Moses sees this fire, but it's odd because it's not consumed. It gets his attention. And this Moses that had settled into retirement hears from God, Moses, you're made for more than this. Moses, you are not too old to fulfill the destiny on your life. Moses, your mistakes do not define you. Moses, I've got a plan for you. Moses, have you ever had that sinking feeling in your heart like you were made for something that would matter in eternity? Well, it's true. Moses, that oppression that you hate, I hate it too. Moses, are you ready to change the world? I'm ready to change it through you. And he gives Moses a commission, a fire. We've been talking about this in our leadership series, asking questions like, what breaks your heart? What burdens your heart? What do you burn for? And Moses gets this commission. He gets this commission from God, and, and he's going to go, and he's going to say, I want you to go. I'm giving you a commission. Go. That's what he said, go. There's always this go. He appears to Isaiah. He says, who will go for me? And he doesn't send you his Holy Spirit to just have you sit there in the backside of a desert enjoying whatever retirement you've got. He wants you to go. He's got a commission for us to go. There's a world of people that do not know him that he wants us to go. There's a world of oppression that he wants addressed. He wants us to go. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so we're in the upper room now, and there's another fire that's burned. And if you're in that upper room, you'd be wondering when the fire appears. Apparently, it says it's divided tongues. That means it showed up as this one fire, 
And I, I think you'd be kind of wondering, like, well, I wonder where the fire is going to go. And you're sort of wondering, I mean, I wonder if it's going to go over here. And you're like, well, maybe it's going to go on Peter. And you're like, no, Peter had his shot. He denied Jesus three times. Bump him. You look over at Thomas. Someone's like, maybe it's going to rest on Thomas. I doubt that, you know. And you kind of go to one of these other ones. You, then you basically go down to all of the disciples. Pretty much you're like, man, all 11 living disciples, all of them bailed out on Jesus when he was taken to be crucified. So if you're one of the 120, you might be like, sweet. I think all of them had their shot, failed their test. Let's have maybe someone else going to come up. And, and you're expecting this, this flame to rest on, on somebody like Moses or Joshua or a David or a president this person or a president that person or a big time leader here or super preacher there or whatever, but much to your surprise, the fire doesn't go on one person. It goes on everybody. It goes on men and women. It goes on qualified and unqualified. It goes on people that just denied Jesus a matter of weeks ago and people that have never done it. And you look around the room and you're like, wait, he's got the fire and she's got the fire and he's got the fire and she does and she does and he does. And, he, and you're like, what? Wait, God, what, what are you doing? And then even when you read a little bit further on, when you're reading in Acts 2.17, when Peter's getting up and describing all this, he says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, and, the, and this is what no one really kind of expects, and your, and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will see dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I'll pour my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And we learned that God's dream was not to raise up a superhero. There's only one superhero in this universe, and his name is Jesus. But to open the system and to say the way the world's going to be changed is not by just having one person that, oh, what if Pastor Mike blew it, or what if this person blew it? The answer is, you, the vision of our church is not for us to come watch a dude or a dudette burn. The vision is we become burning ones. That if you're at home right now and you've got nothing but prayers to pray, that you will burn when you pray. And then when you leave here today, that you'd understand the vision of God was that the fire that commissioned Moses and the fire that commissioned Peter and the fire that commissioned Barnabas and the fire that commissioned Paul is the same fire that commissions you. And they're in a room with 120 people and 120 out of 120. If you do math, that's called one. The way the church becomes one is when 120 out of 120 or, you know, 1,000 out of 1,000 or however many out. The vision was always that we wouldn't be fractured, but that you would know you've got gifts nobody else has. You've got a testimony no one else has. You've got instructions that no one else has. You've got a destiny that no one else has. You've got a grace that no one else has. You get understanding no one else gets. You've got power that no one else can know but you. The fire is on you. 
See, why, why the fire? Because Jesus gave a promise of an experience that brings power. He, he gave a promise of an experience. It brings life. This power brings life. This, this power brings a commissioning and a purpose. But let's go to verse 4. Here's the controversial part, of course. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, or old school. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak in other tongues. Now, this is where people get really nervous. When I first became a Christian, I had people tell me, oh, oh, wait, 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 what kind of church do you go to? Oh, wait, do they speak in tongues there? Speaking in tongues is from the devil. That's what I heard people say. Then I heard other people say, no, 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 no. Tongues aren't from the devil. You're not actually a Christian unless you speak in tongues. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I heard someone, whoa, 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 be careful. You might ask for the Holy Spirit and you start speaking in something and it's the flesh. And then you talk to someone else and they'll say, we believe in all the Holy Spirit stuff. But they seem to focus on the Holy Spirit almost to the exclusion of a lot of other things. And it was very confusing when I became a Christian to try to navigate through all of the Christian circles. Let's just say that. So the question is, when you're reading this, and you read something that's unusual, have I seen this show up before? Has anyone ever spoken in tongues in the Bible before now? And the answer is yes. It's in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. There's a group of people making a making a temple, making a city, making a society, making, constructing a civilization apart from God. They're, they're doing this, and they are one. They are united. They have the same purpose. They've got the same dream. We will make a name for ourselves. We're going to build up. A, we're going to build our way up to the heavens. Is what we're going to do. And God watched this, and He saw their wickedness, their evil, because anytime we separate from God, things go south. And He says, "I'm going to come down." And so God came down, and He confused their languages. He gave them the curse of speaking in tongues. And so people that would, every day they would get up and they would go into the market and they would get up and say whatever, however they would speak in, Bab, you know, in whatever Babel's language was, however they were speaking, they went up and the guy says, hey man, I'd like to, get, I'd like to buy one of those bananas. And someone would say, who guys, he's ah, who ah, who ah. And he'd say, uh, very funny, could I please get a banana? He's like, ho, ha, 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 ha. And you're like, bro, chill with the crazy. Let me get with someone else. And he comes over to someone else and they have like a completely different, they're like, ho, you're like, okay, uh, could someone please give me a banana? Am I watching the office right now? Is this a prank on me? What's happening? And they're kind of trying to do this. And everywhere he would go, he couldn't find people that understood what he was saying because you had one language here and one language there and one language there. And they were speaking in all these languages and no one knew what anyone said. And it was confusing and it was divisive. Someone said, pass me the hammer. They threw the hammer at him, hits him in the face. And what began as this this example of human ingenuity and unity ends up getting divided because you had to go find the people that could, could I get a banana? Banana, banana, who says banana? You found the people that spoke banana and you found the people that spoke the click people and all the other people that you have and they'd all, and sure enough, you ended up by necessity going off in little corners with people that spoke just like you. And ever since the Tower of Babel, we like to act like we're way beyond this, but we tend to go and circle up with people that talk just like us. Because when you speak and you're not understood, it's, it's a curse. You ever been in a conversation with someone that you love and you're trying to communicate one thing and they are hearing something else and you're like, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't mean that. And, and, and you'll, you know this, any of you that have parents, like there's nothing like the feeling of 
you're trying to say one thing to, to a loved one or a kid or a spouse, or, and, and, they're, and they're getting something else, and it's like there's this curse on the earth that we speak, but we're not understood, and it is one of the loneliest feelings in the universe to not be understood. You post something online just sharing your heart, and all these people start barking at you. You're like, man, I, you didn't even hear my heart. Like, like, yeah, but you said, you're like, Wait, wait, you really couldn't just hear what I was saying? You couldn't just hear my pain right now? Like, you really had to pick apart my syntax? You really had to break down the grammar? You really had to, we're really going to, like, argue over the words? We're going to nitpick over vocabulary? Like, my, like, I'm weeping here in pain right now, and I'm, I'm bleeding online maybe, and, and, I've got, and you've got people, and it's the Tower of Babel all over again, speaking in tongues that no one understands, confusion, and so we run off in our circles and, and isolate in our little huddles. But what was cursed at the Tower of Babel, Jesus uncursed on the day of Pentecost. Because now, there was this gathering of people, and we find this in verse 5 when it says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation. At the sound of the multitude, they came together, and they were bewildered. They're like, wait, 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 wait. Each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Have you ever like had something in your heart, and you're like, oh, I feel like no one gets me. And then someone speaks in a way, and you're like, oh, that's it. Yeah, like have you had that, like, that, that moment of like, oh, someone understands me. You speak my, man, guys, it's a delicious experience when someone speaks your dialect. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, wait, aren't these all Galileans? Galileans were like, like the hicks. From the sticks. They're like, like yo, <laughs> well, y- y'all want to chew a little tobacco? Well, get some tobacco. Man, let's go. Imagine Hicks from the sticks speaking perfect, articulate. Estamos hablando español para glorificar el nombre de Jesús. And someone's, someone's from Spain is like, oh, they even use to sail. They're like, what's going on right now? And they were amazed and astonished, verse 8. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselyte, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Let me break this down. Black and white and brown and yellow and green and east and west and male and female, all of them coming together. Like, wait, wait, wait. I hear a big crazy noise that gathers us all together, and yet even in the midst of the noise, it makes sense. It's understandable. I'm like, oh, someone's speaking my language. Wait, wait, is it possible God speaks my language? (laughs) And what was cursed at Babel is being uncursed on the day of Pentecost. Because when the tongues, yes, people ask, well, Mike, does someone have to speak in tongues to go to heaven? The answer is no. Is someone a second-class citizen if they don't speak in tongues? No. Is, is, is someone, am I, am I no good if I don't speak in tongues? No, no, you are totally, if, if, the way we've gotten hung up on some of these gifts, it really amazes me. How are we missing the context of the passage, which is God is speaking people's languages? Pastor Lastinger, the pastor before me, was over in the 
in the Far East in one of these countries because he spent his retirement after I became pastor uh, teaching in seminaries. And he was over in one place where he was praying for someone at an altar and he did not speak their language. And so he didn't know what to do. So he just prayed in tongues because he can speak in tongues and pray in tongues. So he was just, the Bible describes her speaking in tongues for other people to hear. And in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about praying in tongues. It's just between you and God. All he knew to do was pray for people in tongues. But while he was praying on one occasion, there was a guy that came up from behind him and he asked him, he said, whoa, how did you learn my language? To which he said, what do you mean? He said, well, how did you learn my language? Because I hear you speaking my language right now. Pastor Lastinger thought he was just speaking in the language he always prays in. But unbeknownst to him, it was a language that someone else spoke. Which was amazing for both of them. And beautiful and precious. Why the tongues? I think the reason tongues are happening is because in a world right now, that's got weeks like what we've heard in Israel. So this week, Israel and Palestinian, Israelis and Palestinians going at it, and, and there's so much drama, and there's, there's, such a, there's such an emphasis of choose a side. That's where everyone's at. That's what everyone says. So, so I just went ahead, and I got on the phone this week with Palestinians from Gaza and Christian missionaries in the Middle East not Americans, getting their information from whatever news channel you're getting it from. I was like, let me just go ahead and bypass CNN, I'll, you know, this one and that one and you know, whatever one you're reading. Let me talk to people there. Let me tell you what the Christians there are saying. Don't pick a side. Don't pick a side. The Israelis, they go in and they've bombed and they've burned and they've stolen and the, and the Palestinians for 50 years have been bombing and burning and stealing and, and all of them need Jesus. If you think this is just about land and you think this is just about whatever obscure part of the scripture that you're looking at, let's get super clear. The people that are dying should be grieved for. When little kids are dying, you, sh- you ought to be grieving over children. And adults, when they die, people when they die, if someone dies and doesn't know Jesus, do you you understand their soul is in trouble? Are you really talking about politics when this week there are souls passing into eternity? I'm talking to the Palestinian that, whose mother is in Gaza as we speak right now, and he's in another country, another that I won't name, but he's in this other country. He's like, listen, I know all, I, I, this is where I'm raised. I get all of this, and what I'm telling you is that what people need is Jesus, and not into, if you think the politics, if you think your news channel, if you think whatever, I want to get the objective news. Here's the objective news. This world needs Jesus, and until Jesus comes, the Tower of Babel is going to reign. But when the Pentecost power comes, now what was done in Babel, when I'm talking to this Palestinian who's with this American and with these Jews, there is a unity provided by the Spirit of God that nothing else can do. How long are we going to try to scrub ourselves into a political unity of some kind on this earth when God says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes? I, I feel like we're, we're wasting, so, sometimes I'll, I, I just wonder, I'm like, man, do we need to tell people, go get filled with the Spirit? So, so Mike, what, what does this mean for me? What, what this means for you is you need to ask for the Holy Spirit. Well, what does this mean? It means you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, Mike, I, but I'm already a Christian. Uh, so were they. In John chapter 20, verse 22, all of the disciples had Jesus already 
breathed the Holy Spirit on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was already inside of them, but he wasn't yet filling them. I want you to understand, in Ephesians 1.13 it says that everyone that believes in Jesus has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 1. Every single Christian, every single believer, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you got sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Ephesians 1. But in Ephesians 5.18 it says, do not get drunk with wine. Why? Because when people get drunk, they're not just looking for the theoretical. They're not just looking for the positional. They're actually looking for the practical, the visceral, the real. People get drunk because they want comfort. People get drunk because they want boldness. They can't dance. They won't ask a girl out, so they get drunk. People get drunk because they're looking to, to relieve their pain. People get drunk because, for a lot of reasons, what he's saying is something similar to what happens when you get drunk, i.e., there is an experience. No one gets drunk a second time. The first time, they're like, whoa, I don't think that did anything. They get drunk, it's like, whoa, felt that one. I hear people say all the time, we don't go on feelings. We don't, but God gave you feelings, and sometimes you will feel what we're going on. Do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Every Christian has the Spirit of God living inside of them. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm gonna give you a cool idea, a cool thought. If today you turn to him, he's gonna see, his Spirit's gonna come and live inside of you, much like the pilot light on a stove, on a gas stove, gets lit. <laughs> pilot light's on. Never gonna go out, but I need you to know this. You don't cook anything with the pilot light. You cook things when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I hear some people say sometimes, Mike, well, I, I feel like, you know, it's like, so like yeah, I, I, feel like, I, I feel like a second-class citizen because I'm not sure it's ever happened to me. Well, listen, man, every Christian has God's spirit living inside of them. I'm not bringing you something new right now. Like sometimes I think people get freaked out like, Mike, I'm, I'm concerned because I feel like, are you saying that I've never experienced God? No. If you've ever been in a, the word filled, by the way, means to be controlled by. In, in the Gospels, the Pharisees were filled with envy when they took Jesus to the cross. That means they were controlled by envy. In Acts 7, Stephen was filled with faith when he became a martyr. That means he was controlled by his faith. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means that you get controlled by the Holy Spirit. I bet this has happened more times than you realize. I personally don't relate to a lot of Pentecostals and Charismatics that go up to people, other Christians, and they'll say things like, I bet you've never had happen to you what's happened to me. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost and spoken in tongues and whatever. And you'll hear people, especially that haven't spoken in tongues oftentimes, say, well, I, I, feel, like I've had, like, I feel like I've had stuff happen. They're like, no, that doesn't count. That doesn't count because you didn't speak in tongues or whatever that might be. And there's so much controversy on this. If you've ever been, you ever walked into church loaded down with anxiety, you started to worship God, maybe you heard God's word, and by the time you, walk, you walked in controlled by anxiety, you walked out controlled by God's love, joy, and peace. That ever happened to you? I'll tell you what happened. You were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. That is what was happening. You're like, well, what, what if I didn't speak in tongues? Friends, I, I won't lie. I think every one of you can speak in tongues. I think every one of you can prophesy. I think every one of you can pray for a sick person. What I'm saying is I think we're really missing the, the, the forest for the trees when we are getting bogged down on one of the gifts when there's a whole, my wife got fil very filled with the Holy Spirit. She prayed to get filled with the Holy Spirit. She, and again, this, I know this is controversial. She did not speak in tongues, so that's gonna hurt some of your feelings, all right? But as soon as she got filled, she she began to talk to people, and she's an introvert, that would give their lives to Jesus. She would witness 
and people got saved. I mean, they were like, I want to turn to Jesus. Like my introverted wife. She began to pray for people that got healed. She started showing the gift of healing after she got filled with the Holy Spirit. I do believe there was something to intentionally asking God to fill you with the Spirit. It was like a year later, you ever spoke in tongues or something like that? I do believe everyone, again, I'm going to say it. I believe every one of you can speak in tongues. I'm not hyperventilating if you don't, personally, because what I want you to do is to be filled with the power from God that when you get filled, it's like there would be something inside of you that says, wait, am I? Because if you're sitting here like this and you want to make arguments about, well, what about the nuances of this gift or that? Here's what I want. I want you to say, God, I receive everything you have for me. Fill me in Jesus' name. That's what I want you to do. I want you to get past all your theological Phariseeisms that are keeping you like, well, I believe that everyone from the moment you got saved has the Holy Spirit. Me too. Just like you could have some level of alcohol in your system because you took some Robitussin last night. That does not make you drunk, all right? And you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God for the rest of your eternal life. That does not mean you're filled. When you are filled, there is power. And I want you to have the power because Jesus promised the power. Mike, apply the sermon for me. It's simply this. I dare you to pray this prayer. Jesus, I receive everything you have for me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I receive everything you have for me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Let me make much of Jesus, and I pray that I'll get every single thing you have for me. Prophecies, tongues, boldness to witness, freedom from anxiety, freedom from addictions. This is why when I'm talking to missionaries around the world, talking to Baptist missionaries, they come back home, they're not even allowed to tell their constituency what they do on the foreign mission field. They're like, I asked them, do you guys pray for people to get filled with the Spirit? Talking to Baptist missionaries, other missionaries, they're like, I don't tell my people, don't tell my supporters, but over there, we're getting demons out of people. Over there, there's so many curses. We get people to meet Jesus and get sealed with the Spirit, and then we get people to get filled with the Holy Spirit because there is a power that comes upon you that you need. If some of you have addictions that you're ready to be done with, pray for the Holy Spirit. Some of you have a weakness that you're ready to be freed from, pray for the Holy Spirit. Some of you need a breakthrough with your family and you're just controlled by your fear, pray for the Holy Spirit. The next time you're talking to one of your teenagers, you will be different when you're filled with the Spirit. You'll know when to shut up and you'll know when to speak up when you're filled. Be filled. What did Jesus do on the day of Pentecost? He breathed life. He commissioned with fire. And then he connected with tongues. And I commission you to call upon the Holy Spirit, to, to do what he told them. Don't leave Jerusalem until you've been endued with power from on high.